Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. In life, either makes an impact on your life for good or for bad. One of the blessings in my life is I've had great mentors. I've had some men in my life that God has uh, been so gracious to plant in my life and have used in some very significant ways uh, in my life and ministry. One of those men is a guy named, by the name of Joe Brown. Joe used to, uh, he was a preacher and then God called him to evangelism work and he did evangelism for a long time and then went back into the pastorate and had retired and moved into Munford, Alabama, close to where we were in Talladega. And uh, I remember one night, he, uh, we were at a, a Christmas party, and, and Brother Joe uh, saw me come in the door, and he said, hey, he said, come here, young man, come here. I said, yes, sir. And he said, uh, you're going to sit with me tonight. I said, okay. All right. Didn't really know him. Uh, but that began a night of great friendship, uh, great mentorship, in my life, and I would go to Brother Joe's house, and we would sit on his, his porch and rock in the swing, and he would impart some truth to me. And uh, oftentimes it was through great stories that he would tell about days gone by, Ed pastoring, and things that had happened, and how he handled them wrongly or rightly, and you know, how, how to handle things rightly or wrongly as a pastor. And, and he would just impart into my life, you know, just great times, great times. And one of the things I learned from Ed was we were, we were, everywhere we'd go to eat or we'd be out somewhere, anybody you ever met, here's how he'd greet them. You wouldn't say, hello, how you doing? That's where he always say, hey, neighbor, how you doing? Every person, hey, neighbor, how you doing? Hey, neighbor, how you doing? That, that's how you greet everybody. No doubt from the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, talking about who is our Neighbor, if you know anything about parables, you know probably what I'm going to be talking about today. We'll get there in just a minute. But as we think about parables, we're in the series. We're talking about parables, and those are those kingdom secrets we're calling it. And it's all about, you know, for, for Jesus giving these parables, it's all about seeing, hearing, and knowing some truth. And I've been reminding you every week, and I'm going to remind you again because it's so crucial that when you look at a parable, Jesus is teaching a single truth in the parable that sort of runs through the parable. And I'm afraid that sometimes when we look at this parable that we call the Good Samaritan, that oftentimes we sort of look at the, the, the single truth as this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a great truth, isn't it? Not? I mean, after all, it's the second greatest commandment. Jesus said the greatest is to love God. The second is to love others, Right? It's, it's what we as a church are founded upon. We have that in our mission statement. It's, it's all about we ought to love God and then love people. And so when Jesus starts giving us this parable of the Good Samaritan, we immediately say, you know what? I remember being in Sunday school as a kid. I heard that parable. I know what it's about already. And we teach our kids out of that parable, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. And what a great truth. Amen. But can I tell you, that's not the single truth Jesus is teaching. Now, that's a truth and a principle we draw out of that text. 
But there's something that Jesus is teaching that we've totally missed because we have heard the Sunday school lesson from kids, being a kid, a wee little kid, that it's all about loving your neighbor and treating your neighbor nicely. Now, that's a great principle. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. That's an application from this text. But the central truth Jesus is teaching, well, we'll give it to you as we go through, okay? I won't give it to you up front today. So if you have your Bibles, look at Luke's Gospel, Chapter 10, I know some of you are a little fidgety right now because you're thinking, oh, you're going to give me some new truth? Listen, there's never a new truth, okay? The Bible is the same always. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not a new truth. I'm not going to give you a new truth today. I'm just going to point to the truth that you probably missed because all you look for is the truth that you were told, and that is about loving your neighbor, okay? So we're going to look at a different truth. So look at it with me. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Verse 25 and following. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, teacher, here it is, don't miss the point. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's crucial to the truth that we're going to be learning today. That's crucial. I'm just going to tell you, that's crucial. What should I do to inherit eternal life? Good question, by the way. Not a bad question. And he said to him, what is written in the law? And what is your reading of it? And Jesus throws a question back on him. Well, what does the law say? How do you, what does the law say about inheriting eternal life? But more importantly, how are you interpreting that law? What's your interpretation of it? So Jesus is not only interested in what does it say verbatim, but what is your interpretation of that law? And so he answered and he said to Jesus, verse 27, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He he quotes Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18, and he's absolutely correct. And Jesus says to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you'll live. Let's pray together. Father, as we uh, approach this text today. God, it's beautiful to understand that we who are followers of Jesus are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But Father, so many times we miss the point that our Lord is getting at, and that is what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Lord, through this parable, the Lord teaches us there's nothing we can do. So Lord, I pray today you would open our hearts, our minds, that we would see this truth and then we would make application of the truth that is there about what we're trusting in for our salvation. But then Father, we'll also apply the principle of loving our neighbor. So Father, help us through the power of your spirit In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I want you to see what is the occasion or what is the purpose? Why is Jesus telling us this parable? Well, we've already read that there is a lawyer, not not the legal kind, but the spiritual kind of lawyer. That is the religious kind. That is a man who was supposedly well-versed in the Old Testament law. That kind of lawyer. He's listening to Jesus teaching and he stands up in the midst and in the midst of standing up, he says to Jesus, hey, 
what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's just be clear. He's not asking Jesus that question because he really wants to know the answer. He's asking Jesus that question because he wants to trip up Jesus with what Jesus would answer. Now, we know this to be the case because you read further down the text. It says that he wants to justify himself. (laughs) He's just interested in his own skin. He's not interested in listening to Jesus. He's not interested in treating Jesus with respect. And so he asks the question, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit your life? That's going to set this whole plan, this whole teaching in motion. To by which Jesus is going to tell him what you need to do to inherit eternal life. Now, many will walk away from this text and go say, hey, see, this is what we have to do. To inherit eternal life, I have to be loving towards my neighbor. That, that's a quick application that a lot of people make, and they make that wrongly. Because Jesus is not saying that's what it's all about. Hey, if you just love your neighbor, you're going to heaven. You're done, good boy. You've done great. That's not what he's saying to them. But he's answering the question, what? Shall I do to inherit eternal life? So the lawyer stands and asks the question. So Jesus throws a question on his back and says, All right, well, you tell me what the law says and give me your interpretation. Well, he quotes the law, but you notice he didn't give an interpretation. Now, the reason why he didn't give an interpretation is because understand the point that Jesus is making. The point that Jesus is making is that you can quote the law all day long, but the law is not going to save you. He knew the law, but listen, he did not know the spirit of the law. Amen? He knew the law, but he could not tell us what God's design and what God's purpose was for that law. Because here's the reality. Whether salvation is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ now, or whether it was in faith in Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, it's all by faith. It's not by works. It's not by religion. And what this guy was banking on is he was banking on his religion so much so that he would dare stand up. And question the Son of God. Think about that. What shall I do? You you catch that, right? What should I? And there's a lot of people saying that today. What do I need to do? Listen, there's a lot of Christians that are caught up in the eye. There's a lot of Christians who you've been saved by the blood of Christ, by faith, in Him, and now you're trying to keep salvation by, what do I got to do to keep it? I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing you can do to keep it. You didn't do anything to get it. There's nothing you're going to be able to do to keep it. Amen? You're in God's hand. If he saved you, it's a work of God. And if it's a work of God, he's not going to lose you. Amen? Amen. So when you begin to think about the parable, the purpose is all centered around that one question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's the law? Love God. And he says, love God. And notice he gives all four areas of life, right? He he says, love God with everything you are. I mean, that's basically what you sum it up to be. Love God with everything that you are. Listen, I ought to love God with my money. I ought to love God with my mind. I ought to love God with my heart. I ought to love God by the things that I do with my hands. Amen. I ought to give God everything of me. And I ought to love God totally. He nails it. He gets it right. But here's the problem. He's not loving God. You're saying, oh, 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 how do you know he's not loving God? Well, that's the whole point of the, the parable itself. Because if you're loving God, well, we'll get there in a minute. You just hang in there. Okay? And so he says, what's the law? What's the interpretation? Jesus said, you rightly have answered. Go do this. Listen, go do this. What? Love God, love people, and you will live. Now, you can understand why people get a work salvation out of that, can't you? You would think, well, Jesus himself said, I mean, all I got to do is love God and love people, and I'm going to be in eternity. But here's the reality. 
Jesus is pointing to the insufficiency of that man, that lawyer. He's pointing to the insufficiency of my heart. He's pointing to the insufficiency of your heart this morning to love God like God demands to be loved. Do you love God, for instance, with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength? Do you love God that way? Do you have the capacity outside of something inside of you to help you to do that? Do you have the capacity to do that? The answer is no. No person ever born can love God like God demands to be loved. Think about it. I say I love God with my strength, yet I find that I use my strength to commit sins. (laughs) I find, I say I love God with my mind, yet I think impure thoughts at times. How does that equate? How is it, Ed, that I can say I love God with all that I am, yet find myself trapped in sin? I'm telling you, you can't do it. Jesus is pointing to the insufficiency. He's saying, if there's any way possible that you could love God like God demands to be loved, then you got to do the second thing. You got to love people like God wants you to love them. Now, God's easy to love. People, on the other hand, not so much. Amen, brother. Marin and I were shopping in Dothan yesterday. I don't ever do this on Saturday night, so I'm usually in bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock. I get up at 5 a.m. I like to get up, and I get up at 5 a.m. most days, but I like to get up early and look over my notes and make sure I'm ready, you know? Just make sure it's, my heart's ready to preach. And we, didn't, we were 9.45, passing coals, driving home behind a white SUV doing 10 miles under the speed limit was not loving that person. All right? If I had the capacity to love God, listen, when it comes to people, it's a different capacity. Amen? Amen? Amen. So what Jesus is trying to do is, Jesus is not saying, hey, you nailed it. You just go and love God and you love people, you're going to heaven, you got it, good boy. Now what he's saying is, You have to love God like God demands to be loved. And you have to love people like God demands that you love people. And the reality is, we can't do it. Can we, Steve? It's impossible. I can't do it. I wish I could, but I can't. And so he's pointing to an insufficiency in this man. But notice this man, he's not about wanting truth anyway because Jesus says to him, do this and you will live. But he, notice verse 29, but he wanting to justify himself. See, this guy came with the wrong motive. This guy came with a motive to say, hey, what am I going to do? Jesus says, you don't have the capacity to earn it. And Jesus said, well, if you had the capacity, then go and do this and you'll live. Well, you don't have the capacity to do that. You're going to die and burn and go to hell because you don't even have faith to believe and trust in God. You're not even talking about the Father right now. What you're more concerned about is you're more concerned about yourself. And so Luke helps us to understand that. Luke does say in verse 29, wanting to justify himself. He says to Jesus, who's my neighbor? Now you know why he tells the parable. He doesn't tell the parable just so he can give us a lecture on how to love our neighbor. 
He doesn't tell us just to go be kind to other people. That's not the lecture Jesus is giving. What Jesus is doing here is he is saying to us that we have the incapacity to love God like God demands to be loved, to love people like God demands that we love people. Because listen, if you go all the way back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 45, Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that you should be perfect as your Father in heaven is Perfect. So there's the definition. The definition and the, the, the sufficiency you have to have is perfection. Who's perfect in the room? This guy thought he was. And so Jesus confronts his perfection and Jesus says to him, if you can do this, you'll live. <laughs> Impossibility. So what does Jesus do? He says to this guy in response to his question, then Wanting to justify himself. Wanted to say, look, I'm good in myself. I, I am right. He says, who is my neighbor? Now understand something. That in the Jewish economy, and especially in the religious realm of the Jewish economy, when you think about the lawyers and the scribes and the Pharisees, they played these tricky little games about who could be a neighbor and who you didn't have to love as a neighbor. So they had all these definitions sorted out. And so when he asked that question, wanting to justify himself in his mind, he loved his neighbor. Which probably included those of his own sect, which included all those who probably the same social economical status. It included those who were his skin color. It included those who he loved himself. Listen, he had it down, let me tell you. According to him in his own mind, in his justification of it, he was right. Wanting to justify himself. So that's the purpose of the parable. Now what is the parable? Well, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. We all know it so well, but let's read it again. Just so that we understand what Jesus says. He says in verse 30, Then Jesus answered and said, Notice Jesus doesn't confront him with anything. He just says, Okay, you want to know who it is? Let's give you a story. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, about 17-mile journey, but about 3,300 feet when it comes to sea level. So as he's driving, he has to descend 3,300 feet. So there's this winding, bending, twisted road, 17 miles from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Very well-known road of the day. And so he, a certain man goes down. And by the way, this certain man is, mo- is no doubt a Jew. You say, how do you know that? Well, it's inference in the text. He says, the certain man goes down. He fell among thieves, verse 30, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Boy, that's pretty sad shape, isn't it? <laughs> this poor guy's literally in a ditch, dying. They've taken his clothes from him. They've taken his money, and they beat him half dead. And he's in the ditch, and he's dying. He needs help, doesn't he? He needs somebody to come alongside and help him up. So... Jesus says, verse 31, by chance, (laughs) isn't that awesome? I love the word he uses. By chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. (laughs) He skirted the issue, didn't he? I mean, he went way over here out of the the side. Now, it's funny when you read commentaries, because commentaries are are funny, because everybody wants to explain, why did he go down the other side of the road? Well, you know, he thought maybe the man was dead, and if he touched a dead man, he'd be ceremonially unclean, and all this stuff. Listen, I don't care about all that stuff, because that's not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is not trying to find an excuse for why the guy went around. Jesus' point is saying the guy went around. Jesus' point is saying, here's a guy 
who everybody should respect, that everybody should think, would think that he's right with God. He's a priest after all. He's right with God. He teaches people the word. You would think, Ed, he'd be right. But this is the preacher coming down the road, going to the other side. I'm not going to help them. That's what he did. And so he ignores the situation. He's not going to help. doesn't matter why he chose to do that. The reality is he did. And oftentimes we do. But he goes on in the text. Man, not only did that happen, verse 32, likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. Now, this is a little different. Now, a Levite is somebody who's a temple worker. So he's not necessarily a priest, although priests could be Levites and Levites could be priests. But Levites were that sect that oftentimes were workers inside the temple. So they were assistants. So here's the youth minister. Works, doesn't it? No, I'm just kidding. You know, the student pastor comes by. No, notice what this guy does. He gets a little closer to the scene. It says, and he arrived at that place, came and looked. He's rubbernecking. <laughs> he's, he's rubbernecking. And so he comes by and he looks, but he's like, mm, I don't want any part of that. And so what does he do? The Bible says he passed by on the other side. He skirts the issue, goes to the other side. Oh, it was funny. Some say, well, the robbers may still be there. So he was worried about the robbers. He needed to get down the road. Let me tell you something. Again, I don't care what his motive was. His motive was wrong. That's the point that Jesus is getting at. They both saw into the situation and they both shut their hearts up. But they were both religious leaders. They were both people that you would have expected to help. If you have a breakdown on the road and I drive past you and you know my car and I drive past you and don't stop and help you, you're not going to think very highly of your preacher, are you? Let's just be honest. That's just the truth. Kevin, if I go flying past you at 55 down, well, I wouldn't be doing a little faster than that, baby, but if I fly past you and you got a flat tire on the side of the road and I don't stop to help you, and you know, oh, that's Brother Mike's van. You know, you're like, yeah, that knucklehead. You know, you would. You'd think a little differently, right? You'd think your pastor would stop and help you. They don't stop. They don't help. And so Jesus goes on with the story, but then he says, but a certain Samaritan. Now, right there, Jesus is about to lose his audience because they're about to vomit. Because for a Jew, the Samaritans were worse than dogs. For, for the Jewish man to be hearing that a Samaritan came by, that guy would think in his mind, if I was that guy in the ditch, I would rather die than that guy touch me. Think about it. There was that much hatred in their heart. There was that much separation so much so at the end of the parable, when Jesus confronts the man and asks him to, who, who had the compassion, the man can't even say the word Samaritan. And so he says, but a Samaritan guy comes by. He doesn't care the guy's a Jew in the ditch. I mean, he doesn't, hey, by the way, are you a Jew before I help you? Are you worthy for me to help you? Are you, are you the right skin color? Are you the right, you know, breed? Are you, are you the right social economical group? You know, are you the right person that I can help? Listen, that's what we do in our modern day society, don't we? We divide people and divide people and divide people and divide people rather than turning a Christian ear and a Christian heart towards helping people. And so he says to him, you know, or, or Jesus says about him, he said, and as he journeyed, he came to the place where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's something Powerful with compassion in there. There's something powerful. But listen, I want you to understand something. <clears throat> Again, Jesus is not teaching. If you just have compassion, you're going to go to heaven. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. But there's something motivating that compassion. There's something behind that compassion. Amen? And, and by the way, just like there's something behind that compassion, there's something not behind 
the compassion, okay? The other people. So he says to him, he had compassion. So we know the story, right? He, he went on, or he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. So he's doctoring him up and he set him on his own animal. See, he's going to walk. Let this guy ride. And he brought him to an inn to take care of him. Verse 35. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. Remember we talked about denarii a few weeks ago? We talked about that's a day's wage. He not only already paid for what he had already done, but now he's leaving behind two days wages and saying to the innkeeper, hey, if you have anything else that occurs, if there's anything else that you have to do to take care of him, when I get back, if this denarii don't cover it, I'll pay you back. I'll reimburse you. Then verse 36, here's the, here's the principle of the parable. Listen to what Jesus says. So which of these three... Do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among thieves? The obvious answer is the hero of the story. The hero of the story is a Samaritan. Oh my word to a Jew, that's just unheard of. There's nothing good that they could ever do. But yet he's the hero of the story. He has compassion and he helps this guy and he ministers to this guy. And Jesus said, who do you think is the hero of the story? And that guy can't even say the Samaritan. He says, I guess... You can almost hear the insincerity in his voice. Well, I guess it's the guy who showed compassion. Jesus doesn't confront him. Jesus doesn't say, you can't even say Samaritan. Jesus doesn't confront him. Notice how Jesus ends the parable. Notice what Jesus does. He applies it. He says this. So which of these three do you suppose was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Again, people go work religion. There it is, work religion. That's not what Jesus is saying. When you go back to the, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, go and do likewise. That is, you ought to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, with everything you are, perfectly as God demands. And you ought to love your neighbor as yourself as perfectly as God demands. And if you can't do that, point is, this man was not going to do that. This man is the priest and the Levite walking down the road. He's not going to do that. Why? Because his heart has not been converted. He has not an ounce of a love of God in him. So when we think about the truth to apply, let me just read it to you so I make sure that the words I use come across clear. What is it all about? Here it is. Here's the principle. Being neighborly is not what God requires to go to heaven, but being neighborly is a characteristic of those who are going. Let me say it this way. Go back to our Jesus follower series. If you are a Jesus follower, then you will love your neighbor as yourself because everything flows out of your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Notice I said relationship. I didn't say just say I love God. No, I have a relationship. I, I love the way Charles Spurgeon, he dealt with this text in his sermon. He, he dealt, it's called The Good Samaritan. And, and here's what he said. I'm going to quote him. He said, this morning I trust that though I keep very much a practical point, I shall be guided by the spirit of holiness and shall not really be guilty of legality, nor will any of you be led into it. He goes on, he says, I shall not hold up the love of our neighbor as a condition of salvation, but the fruit of it. Get it? He says, I shall not speak of obedience to the law as the road to heaven, 
But I shall show you the pathway which is to be followed by the faith which works by love. He goes on to say, the story of the Good Samaritan, which is now before us, is a case in point. For our Lord is there explaining a point which arose out of a question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The question is legal and the answer is to the point. He goes on, but he says, but let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, the gospel produces in us. The law, he said, tells us what we ought to be And it is one object of the gospel to raise us to that condition. That's powerful. The Lord used this parable to show the lawyer that he really wasn't justified in his law keeping and good works. He didn't love God as much as he thought he did. And he certainly did not love his neighbor. So how do we apply the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, the first immediate application is this is that we evaluate our own hearts. Are we in some way trying to justify ourselves before God in our own works, by our own righteousness? There's people that do it every day. They say, when you talk to to them about the gospel, well, I love God. I've never cheated on my taxes. I've never murdered anybody. It's interesting, they go back to the law. And what you want to say to them is, okay, if you're going to keep one area of the law, then you must keep all ten perfectly. Can you do that? It's impossible. Can't keep all ten commandments perfectly. Not to mention the other laws that were laid down for us in the Decalogue. But can I even keep the ten? I can't even keep ten perfectly. And so we need to examine ourselves. We need to evaluate ourselves. Am I going to heaven because I think that I have loved my neighbor as I'm supposed to? Am I going to heaven because I love God the way I'm supposed to? Have I done that to the place of perfection as he demands? The reality is, my friend, if that's what you're trusting in, that you are on a road to destruction, not heaven. Because is there any merit that we think that we could earn or muster up within our own strength is nothing but a facade. It's impossible. We have to rely on something far better, far more potent, and that is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who would do just the opposite. He would take us who had the inability to do anything, and he would show mercy and grace upon us, and he would take all of our sin upon himself on a cross, and he'd be nailed there in your place in order that he would become the sacrifice for your sin, in order that you would be set free from hell and damnation, be set free from the wrath of God that abides on all who are in unbelief, by the way, even now, not in the future, but even now, the Bible says, Jesus would bear all that on the cross of Calvary for you, even the separation of the Father, for he would cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? All of that Jesus would bear in his own flesh, in his own body on the cross for you. And my friend, don't trust anything cheaper. People like to buy stuff cheap. 
But not everything you get cheap is worthy. Amen? Don't go for a cheap gospel. Don't go for anything less. Because let me tell you, it'll break in an instant. The second application I think is very well placed, and that is we already know. And that is be a good neighbor. That is live out the Christian life. Right? As a follower of Christ. What is my what is my ministry? What is my mission as a follower of Christ? It's to be a good neighbor. To be a good neighbor. To love God, yes, but to love others is the second commandment. So I need to be a good neighbor. That means it doesn't matter who is my neighbor. Well, Jesus made the case in point. It's anybody that we come up to that that needs help, needs assistance. But but listen, it's anybody. Go back to Joe. My, My pastor friend Joe would say, hey, neighbor, how you doing? Why? Because everybody's a neighbor. And everybody stands in need of the gospel. So how does this apply? What does this look like? Well, let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like our church engaging in mission, in partnership mission with our brothers and sisters in Dearborn, Michigan, who are ministering to Muslims that they may come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How does that look? It looks like we engage with our neighbors who live right next door to us, literally, that may not be saved in order to love them and to win them to Jesus. See, it's the mission. It's the mission of students when you go to school. It's your, it's your mission to love your friends at school and to make friends at school in order what? To be able to have an opportunity for the gospel. We do that at work. It's not enough just to say we love God, friends. But do we really love our neighbor as we love ourselves? It's a lot of neighbors being brought into our country. We don't like it. We complain about it. But God's bringing the mission field to us. And he's saying, church, I'm giving you an opportunity to be missional. And you don't even have to leave the country. But you know what? God doesn't have to bring foreigners in to do that. He's put people in your path every single day of your life since you've known Jesus and given you an opportunity to be missional. I wonder how many times we've been the priest and the Levite and walked to the other side of the street. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.